when I was about 21 or two, I was like, all right, I need to go to like a therapist and a psychiatrist. My psychiatrist, she was like, well, how much are you drinking? And I tried to lowball her, and I was like, you know, like, uh, 10 drinks when I go out, which was well below what I was drinking. And then she was like, whoa, that's so many. And I, I was like, shit. Like, I, <laughs> I, I didn't should, go low enough. Yeah, I was like, I should have <laughs> lied even more. Like, I didn't lie enough. And that was one of the many big laughs that me and John A. shared during this interview. Welcome to another episode of Keep Coming Back, Real Stories of Sobriety and Recovery. My name is Mike S. I identify as an addict and an alcoholic. Long before I ever got sober, I spent plenty of time in therapy, which means I did plenty of lying to my therapist. And of course, I would severely play down how much I was drinking and the amount of pills that I was I was taking. And, you know, I remember being someone who would rarely cry in therapy, like, like, I wish I could have. It was, it was, it felt physically impossible. Like I was wound way too tight. But at some point in 2013 or 14, I was in a session and it happened. Like I just broke down and I alluded to the idea that I might have a problem with pills. And I don't remember exactly what I said. I, I'm sure I said something like, uh, I take a Percocet every other Tuesday, you know, if I've had a rough day from work, something just like ridiculous, but I think he saw through it because going forward, he would ask me each session, how's it going with the pills? What's going on with the pills? Uh, why don't you stop drinking for 90 days? And 90 days seemed like just insane. Um, and so, of course, to avoid the questions, uh, I would just start lying about my using. And a few months later, uh, you know, I had another sob session. And I think I disclosed that I used again. And he said, you know, listen, like, I'm going to insist that you go to AA. And I didn't like insist. And I and I didn't like AA, even though I had absolutely no idea what AA was. In my mind, AA was like a, you were like you were sent there. It was a punishment for people that had no willpower. Like I thought I had willpower. I think the only people that I had even heard of going to rehab were professional athletes and rock stars. Like Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry from the 86 Mets was my closest association with rehab or AA or recovery. Or maybe you were just like a Bowery bum. You drank beer, warm beer out of a brown paper bag. You stood around a, you know, the, on the street around a fiery cauldron. Um, you weren't like me, right? An addict or an alcoholic didn't look like me, and I didn't want to go to AA. And so I stopped seeing that therapist. But I knew I had a problem, and you know, I'm going on these Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday benders, and on those off days, I would recover, and I would just drink, and I would just take Xanax. And you know, I'm blacking out. I'm making bad decisions that usually involve my phone. And so rather than go to AA, uh, which I didn't think was for me, I decided that I should, um, you know, I want to stop. I know I have a problem. This has been going on for years now. So let me Google how to stop taking drugs. Let me Google how to stop taking pills. And I'm like looking in the chat rooms and uh, Google had many suggestions that were very healthy, certain rehab facilities, 12-step uh, programs. And if you sift through all of those, you'll get to some of the things that I did. So the first thing on the agenda was I found a hypnotist. And the hypnotist was in Midtown Manhattan. And I went into his office and he sat me down and he explained what hypnotism was. And he walked me through sort of a, a guided trance. And at the end of the trance, he said, every time that you see the color red, like fire engine red, you're going to lose all desire to drink and drug. And I left that session. I'm not joking. I left that session and I was like, I am cured. And of course, a few days later, I'm using. And so I went back to Google and I found out that acupuncture is often used in addiction. So I went to an acupuncturist and that didn't work. And then I saw that there was this breathing instructor. She was a $300 an hour breathing instructor that would teach you to breathe through the cravings. And I would go there. It must have looked like sort of like Lama's class. And I would breathe, and that didn't work. And then I saw that if you did mushrooms or did ayahuasca, maybe that would work. And so I did that, and that didn't work. And again, this is, um, this is a brief summary, but this was all over the course of like several weeks and months. 
Now I knew one sober person. It was a woman. She was in her 40s. She had one year sober. Uh, she was someone I used to party with. And I asked her one day over text. I said, I'm trying to get sober. How do I do it? And she said, I'll take you to a meeting. And I was so desperate at that point that I agreed. And the story of that first meeting, I think I'm going to save for next time because I want to get to the interview with John A. So uh, here we go. So so let's work our way back a little bit. So yeah. then like, talk to me about like the final weeks and months like before you walked into a recovery room. Sure. So... On the outside, like, if you knew me, like, you would never really be able to tell that anything is wrong. Like, I've always used comedy in my, like, kind of, like, big personality to hide whatever I was feeling on the inside. Like, my outsides never match my insides. Like, I I had a job. Like, I had, quote-unquote, like, friends that I would spend time with. And uh, I was always joking around. And, like, the on-paper stuff looked fine. So nobody really knew but inside i was completely dying spiritually like i felt absolutely terrible and uh i've, heard, I've heard people compare and i and i totally i, I totally yeah. know what you mean i've heard people say it's like i'm like a ferrari with like a, a rusted engines yeah it was people like would kind of see like the maybe i was having fun when i was with them at the bar but they didn't see every night me coming home crying smoking cigarettes on my couch with no ashtray right you know like if they saw that part they might think that something was wrong but uh like what my life really started to look like was my life was kind of like a triangle where i would go to work i was obsessing all day about when can i and it wasn't just like at this point, I've crossed the threshold. Like, alcohol wasn't about having fun. It wasn't a social lubricant. It was, I cannot feel the way I'm feeling right now. I need to get to a way that I cannot feel this way as quickly as possible. And mm -hmm. alcohol and uh, was, like, my solution at that time. So I would go to work. I would spend all day obsessing about when I could finally drink just so I didn't have to feel the way I felt anymore. I would go straight to Dwayne Reed. I would pick up, like, whatever, like, I would pick up, like, a you know, like a six or a 12 start drinking. There was whiskey. That was my roommate. Then right. he was never home because he was horrified of me and would sleep at his girlfriend's every night. And I would like drink beer. Then I would drink his whiskey. I would smoke cigarettes without an ashtray, just like ash falling all over the floor and on myself and like smoke weed and then pass out at around 8 PM because the pain of existing was so intense that I was like, if I go to sleep, like at least that was another day in the books and I don't have to be conscious for a little bit longer. Yeah, I totally get the drinking to pass out. Yeah. Eventually it's just like, and I noticed that in my quote bedtimes, yeah. I wasn't putting myself to bed, so to speak, but yeah. it was just happening. It kept getting earlier and earlier and earlier. And for me, like I, at the end, like I was addicted to a myriad of pills. Like mm -hmm. I started with painkillers, but at the end it was, you know, Adderall in the morning and then Xanax or Ambien. And it was like that time that I took that Ambien or Xanax would get yeah. earlier and earlier and earlier and earlier. So suddenly it's like, you know, I'm like, eh, it's dark enough, mm -hmm. you know, like, and I'm also now I'm snorting Ambien. Like yeah. just stuff was getting really, really weird. Well, the, also the effect no longer was the same, right? So it, it took more to feel the desired effect. So like, I couldn't just like, and, and by the way, just like, if someone didn't understand what you meant by like the desired effect, yeah. like what, explain that. So like for me, the aim when I was drinking was that feeling of oblivion where like you no longer, like your inhibitions are gone. Like you no longer, like the pressures of the world no longer seem to matter. It just, you somehow become like carefree and present and only that current moment seems important. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was at, I guess like the end or like at my bottom, First, right, the drinking would just bring me to, like, what a normal human being felt. And then for, yeah. I would assume, a normal or a temperate drinker, that's all you really wanted to get to. But for me, then I continued towards oblivion afterwards. It wasn't enough to get down to the part where I felt human. I needed to then feel nothing. Right. I always yeah. thought halfway through my third drink is where I was like, this is what everyone else must feel like all the time. Yeah. Mid third drink. And yeah. then of course there's no stopping. Exactly. If only I could have just isolated that feeling for the rest of my yeah. night, I would have been great. So when, um, so you're going down that path, does yeah. anyone say anything to you and, and say like, John, like we're worried, John, like, I think you should slow down. Sure. So there were signs of that my whole life. Um, but the thing about this disease is like, we convince ourselves we don't have it. Uh, like that's, that's how the disease works. It's extremely insidious. And like, 
like alcoholism doesn't want you to believe that you have alcoholism because it wants to continue to drink. So the first time that I ever heard like you need to slow down was I was in high school, I was a senior, and I was at a point where a relationship with my mom where we weren't, I couldn't speak to my mom without blowing up in her face. So like we just were not spending any time together at all. And she was extremely concerned because I went from this like very docile, sweet kid with all of these interests to like my personality transformed pretty dramatically right away when mm. I started drinking and smoking on a consistent basis. And she said like, hey, like we need to get dinner, which shows where I was at where like my mom said we need to get dinner because I wasn't eating dinner with her enough for it to just be a thing. Right. So she said, come meet me at this restaurant. And my friends were like, don't you have to meet your mom? And I was like, yeah, but I can't do that sober. So I had to get high with my friends in the car and then went to a conversation with my mom where she said, hey, I'm concerned about your drinking and your smoking. I just want you to know that we're a family that has alcoholism, especially the men in the family, and you need to be careful. And that was the first time I ever had any warning or indication that I didn't even know that alcoholism existed. I became a daily drinker like the second I got to college. And uh, when I was about 21 or two, I mean, I was already having like terrible suicidal ideology. So I was like, all right, I need to go to like a therapist and a psychiatrist because I need something external to make me feel okay. So like I'm going to get prescribed drugs or whatever it's going to be and I'm going to be okay. And uh, I remember my psychiatrist, like she was like, well, how much are you drinking? And I tried to lowball her and I was like, you know, like uh, 10 drinks when I go out, which was like well below what I was drinking. And then she was like, whoa, that's so many. And I, I was like, shit, like I, <laughs> I, I didn't should, go low enough. Yeah, I was like, I should have lied even more. Like I didn't lie enough. Um, Cause also like I wanted to seem cool. Like, like I was like, yeah, I drink like my psychiatrist. I don't know what I was doing, but, um, and then she's like, well, how often are you drinking? I was like, I don't know, like, like five, six nights a week. She's like, whoa, like that's not normal. I was like, meanwhile, at seven and you're low bubble five. Yeah, right? exactly. I was like, uh, I was like, I'm in college. Everybody drinks like this. She was like, no, they don't. And I was, I was truly convinced that everybody was drinking the way that I was drinking. Like it just seemed that way, especially where my alcoholism led me to hang out with people that drank a similar way that yes. I drank. So it was easy for me to feel like I didn't have a problem if I can compare myself to other drinkers that I was like, oh, well, that kid has a problem. Like, I'm fine. Right. I once heard someone say, and this really resonated with me, they said, if there's enough people on your end of the pool, yeah. then it makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Like, I felt normal because I surrounded myself with people who drank like exactly. me. And, like, those people were not maybe the healthiest people. So... Then the last, like, before I got sober, like, you need help was I was talking to my therapist after, like, I was like, do I have a drinking problem? Because the psychiatrist kind of scared me. And she was like, well, why don't you stop drinking? And mm. I was like, I can't. And I meant it. Like, I was like, I like I was, I couldn't even believe that came out of my mouth. I was like, I cannot. And she was like, why? And I was like, I'm too afraid. And she's like, of what? And I was like, I was like, I like no one will like me. I won't like myself, all these things. And she was like, well, like, why does that bother you so much? And I said, because alcohol is who I am. That was a quote that I told my therapist and I wholeheartedly meant it. Alcohol became my entire personality, like acquiring it, drinking it, talking about it. Do like, it was just my entire life. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Why do you think, um, this phrase gets thrown around a lot. And when you first walk into a recovery room, it's like the first thing you'll you'll hear it and you'll roll your eyes. But people say, I'm a grateful alcoholic. Yeah. What does that mean? Like, what do you think that means to, to most people? So what it means to me is I feel as if most people on this planet just live their lives with their eyes closed. And what I mean by that is it's so easy to just kind of like check off the boxes of life, like get married at a certain age, get a certain job. And as long as you have those things on paper, like everything is okay. But there is such a big and amazing life out there where when you're focusing on like growing as a human being and like looking at your like character defects and trying to improve upon them and like devoting your life to helping other people, like there is this whole beautiful world out there. And I feel like most people are not in touch with that, that aren't in a 12 step program. So for me, what it means to be grateful to be an alcoholic is 
not only do I get to be a person, but I feel as if I get to live with this insight that most people in their lives never get. And it's a gift of alcoholism because if I weren't an alcoholic, I wouldn't be in a 12-step program and I wouldn't be in a position to like focus on growing every single day and to help other people and to see this other beautiful side of the world. Right. I I look at it as everyone's messed up. Yeah. Right. Like every single person has their own screwed up shit going on. Yeah. Now, how that manifests is in any number of ways. It manifests for you and me in the way we drink. For other people, they could like bite their nails or it could be, you know, who knows? But it could be in like a less messed up, dysfunctional Mm -hmm. way that doesn't affect their lives. And therefore, they don't end up. There's no program for like Nail Biters Anonymous. They're never going to end up here. And, you know, people say like, I came for my drinking and I stayed for my thinking. It's like, you can then come in and then the gates open to all the other things going on in your life. Yeah. Like pain is the touchstone to growth. So people that don't have a drinking problem are usually not in enough pain to make a change in their life to improve. Because even if people are living that aren't in the rooms, just like a normal life that they're okay with, there's always improvement for ourselves. There's always betterment. And what we're blessed with is that we reach such a bottom point and that we see how low it can get that how could you not be grateful when you have anything above that point that you were at where like since we had so much pain that we experienced like we had a we had a willingness to grow where some people where they're like this is status quo this is fine like nothing needs to change like as long as it stays like this it's okay so talk about pain what what was tell me like what was max pain max pain is just like I mean, it's kind of what I was talking about before. No, that. what was it like specifically for you in your life? Yeah, for me, it was that feeling of like terminal, like apartness and terminal uniqueness where I genuinely felt that I could not connect to another human being on this planet. And I just felt entirely alone. And there is nothing more like sad than <laughs> like watching everybody live life and somehow feel like you're on the sidelines while everybody else is living life. And I used to have like a higher power conception before I came into the rooms, but it was an angry one. So like I believed in God, but I believed that God hated me and that Mm -hmm. his mission was to like ruin my life. And I used to literally like, like uh, (laughs) when I was in college, I had to work two jobs because I like could barely, I, I like, I was so broke because all of my money either went to alcoholism. I like severed my relationship, like, with my parents and like not to their fault at all like my mom uh she grew up with an alcoholic father so like she was an Al-Anon and like understood like boundaries so she knew that like she couldn't enable my behavior so to her credit she you know helped she cut you off yeah to like the not to like a dangerous extent but to the point where like I had to pay for all my rent all my food all of my whatever and it wasn't out of love it was her. she wanted me probably to arrive at the spot that I arrived quicker so that I could finally get help. And uh, like, (laughs) so I was like working these two jobs. I was like opening a bakery at five in the morning, like going to class maybe. And then like, wow, like working at a pizza shop at night. And it was like four in the morning. I'd be pushing like these baked goods around like a, like Philadelphia, like in a cart. And I was woke up at God. I'm like, why did you do this to me? God, why? (laughs) Like, so like that, that is pain where like, you feel like the universe is literally conspiring to ruin your life. And on top of like, everybody on the planet you just they're like you can't they can't understand how i'm feeling like i'm completely different than everybody do you think um what do you say to someone that says that having a higher power is a requirement of uh aa um so i think that a higher power is required however i think the word higher power is it's so personal to everybody, right? Like a higher power, people immediately like say and think God. And I use the word God the way that people use the word Band-Aid instead of like adhesive bandage, right? Like for me, it's just easier to use the word God to define it. It's like quick and easy, but like the whole point is you just need to believe that there's something bigger than you because part of like alcoholism is having this insane ego where we're either the best or the worst and there's no in between like and it's a very self-centered fear disease so like there needs to be a belief that there's something that's bigger than us because when we think we're the biggest thing in the universe and we can handle our problems it's where we get in the most trouble so like in the conventional sense like it doesn't need to be god it doesn't need to be like this like wizard in the sky type of like man with a white beard situation 
it just needs to be anything that humbles yourself to the point that like we're not in control of all the external circumstances and like for me i believe that like the spirit of the universe is good like the universe isn't conspiring to punish any of us like right. we, it's more of just like you need to it's like a being in a place of acceptance that there is something greater than us. We're not in control of everything and that like we just kind of need to relinquish that because I feel like a lot of alcoholism is just trying to maintain control, control over everything. Mm -hmm. And like the harder we try and maintain control, like the more it just gets away from us. So I just want to go back to a couple of things you said. Yeah. So you had that that like high school lunch with your mom and she yeah. was like, listen, there's alcoholism in your family. Yeah. So like, tell me about like, did your mom drink? Did your dad drink? Like, what was what was so, going on yeah. when you were growing up? So my mom's dad is an alcoholic and was for like until my mom was like thirty years old. So like she's been around that her entire life. And my dad is also an alcoholic, and uh, it's actually amazing. Uh, and when we talk about higher power stuff, like this is how this type of stuff manifests itself in my life. Me and my dad are both sober with 14 days apart of each other and we didn't talk to each other about going to aa i called him when i had 14 days to tell him that i was in aa and he was leaving his first meeting wow yeah so like when i talk about higher power stuff for me it's just like i can't define what that is but like clearly something out there like cares about me more than like you know what i mean that like yeah. i couldn't do that for myself you know but being around uh alcoholism my dad like i never really noticed his drinking when i was growing up like it, like yeah like he would get like double jack daniels when we were at like a, a restaurant and stuff but i had never like fully understood what it meant when it really went off the rails for him was actually when it was going off the rails for me and on top of being father and son we kind of more became best friends and like would drink together and like smoke weed together and uh, at that time, I probably didn't need a best friend. I needed like a father figure. So I know people that came. <clears throat> I know people that came from alcoholic families, and yeah. they kind of like they knew of AA. In yeah. fact, they even said that they're like, I knew there was a seat in my future. I just didn't know when that seat was going to get filled. <sighs> so did you feel that way? It was interesting because right, like. Another experience I had, like, the first time that AA was ever really mentioned to me, um, I never thought, like, that sobriety was going to be something I did in my life. Like, I never, you know, foresaw this for myself. But I remember I was with my family, and my mom was yet again afraid of my drinking, and she made me talk to my grandpa, who was 18 years sober at the time, and, like... He, I don't, went to, he went to meetings? Yeah. And, like, I don't know if he was going to meetings anymore because, like, uh, he was trying to give me, like, a questionnaire almost in the sense of, like, am I an alcoholic? Mm -hmm. And he's like, is the first thing you do reach for a flask of whiskey in the morning? <laughs> I was like, that's so specific. No. He's like, you're fine. And that was it. <laughs> you know? And I was like. Which was probably the AA questionnaire from, like, 1940. Yeah. Like, that was the worst advice possible <laughs> because what an alcoholic is is so personal to everybody. For me, it's, like, a feeling. You know? There's no, like check the box there's no like you drink x amount of drinks by this time in the morning you're an alcoholic so i went on that i was like oh cool like an alcoholic told me i'm not an alcoholic i'm i'm good yeah i heard someone qualify recently and he basically said like you can fill in any blank you want but here it here it goes it's i'm not blank enough yeah right so for him in his case he was on the short side so he goes i would walk mm -hmm. into a room this was like a really successful guy yeah he goes i would like i, I would walk into a room and I'm not tall enough. I walk into a room and I'm not successful enough, even though yeah. he was really successful. Absolutely. He goes, I'm not funny enough. I'm not handsome enough. I'm not blank enough. Yeah. And when I drank, I moved all of that away. Yeah. So in fourth grade, like <laughs> I have like a really good group of friends, but all I wanted to do was like be with the popular kids. I right. was like, I needed more. Like what I had was never enough. I was like, all right, like I don't care about these friends. Like I need to, I need to be something. I need to be important. And like, you know, like, it, like it's that feeling carried me throughout my entire, like my college experience, like my beginning of my professional career where I, like I compared myself to other people rather than trying to look at what I had and be grateful for it. So what I had was never enough. Like I always needed more. And, uh, I remember like in college, like a good example of alcohol doing that for me was, 
I wasn't like good with girls in high school in any capacity. I was lanky. I was awkward. I was like weird. I was like on the track team and like into like Star Wars and like right. all this weird shit. And uh, <laughs> I was like embarrassingly weird. But right. like when I got to college and I was drinking, I remember like literally drinking at a bar, looking in a mirror like so drunk and I told myself I'm like you are the man <laughs> like you got this like you may not be confident but if you pretend long enough like you're gonna do things like and yeah. you're gonna be okay and I ran with it like for a while like alcohol worked that's why that was the solution for a of while course. until I found AA like alcohol was the solution until it turned on me and that's what uh I think doesn't get conveyed enough in yeah. meetings sometimes about like I love drinking yeah I love drugs yeah and, like, 90% of the time, it worked, like, just fine. Yeah. Just what I wanted it to do. And it was that last year or two yeah. when, like, that ratio of, like, working to not working got, like, went way out of whack. Yeah. What were the moments that led to you walking into an AA room for the first time? And then, Absolutely. like, give me, I love people's first impressions of AA. Yeah. So, once again, like, this is, like, a higher power working in my life where it's, like, I, I'm, once again, like, I say God because that's just the word I use. Like, mm -hmm. God was taking care of me before I could take care of myself. Like, I was in that triangle of like work, Dwayne Reed home, just eating nacho cheese shirtless <laughs> in bed with cigarette ash everywhere is terrible. But I like, I had full blown, like I was just waiting to gain the courage to kill myself. Like that was my plan. My plan was to commit suicide. I was just too afraid to do it at that Did you point. ever come close? Um, I never made an attempt, but I did like spend time like writing out the letter where like I didn't specifically write the letter. Like I used like, writing screenplays as an escape from my head and I <laughs> so dark I was writing a screenplay where it was just a like panning single shot of a like the front row of a pew of a mm. uh like funeral, funeral of right. like where the kid killed himself and it was just like a voiceover of the suicide note aka my suicide note uh, so I was just like writing out like like what I basically wrote my suicide note into like a screenplay got it yeah so like I was I wanted to do it. Like, I wanted to die. I just was too afraid to make an attempt yet. So, like, I was basically, like, running out the clock until I was going to die. Like, eventually I was going to gain the courage if nothing else changed. And uh, I remember, like, you know, like, that was just where I was at. And it wasn't until I went on a ski trip with my buddy and... Uh, it, it like he was like hey like my friend is coming and he's sober which i didn't even know that that was like a thing i had only met that kid one time previously by the way and on my experience with him is like he went outside just because he didn't want to like be at whatever bar we were at anymore just to like make a phone call probably to another alcoholic right and he sees me outside like holding this kid by the collar because i thought he stole my pack of cigarettes but i just lost it in my pocket right. <laughs> and i was just like you like motherfucker like i'm gonna kill you and he's like whoa this kid is crazy like and uh uh, I, and I remember I found out after like this kid did not want to go on the ski trip with me. He's like, I don't want to like this kid's like kind of nuts. And uh, we went on it anyway. And my friend was like, can you just not like do the thing where you drink way too much and like when no one else is drinking type of thing? And I was like, whatever, like fine. And um, I think I was like dabbling in some controlled drinking or at least trying to before that because I was at, I knew that we were going skiing in Vermont, right? And I had a work party or something and I was like, I'm going to have one beer. Mm -hmm. And I, I meant it. I meant it. Like if you put me up to a lie detector, like I was going to have one beer that night. You fast forward and I'm ripping shots with HR. Like, I don't know yeah. what the hell happened. And it, now it's like <laughs> two in the morning and like, we're, they're going to pick me up at six to go skiing and like. I was just like, how did this happen again? And, like, I'm calling my mom yelling at her because she won't pick me up in a snowstorm, like, an hour away. Like, I was just a mess. And um, they, like, I get in the car, like, four hours later with them. I'm, like, still drunk a little bit. I'm miserable. Like, that's where mm -hmm. I'm at in, in this life. But the kid that was sober was the happiest kid I have seen in my entire life. And I was like, I hate this guy. Yeah. Like, why is he so happy? And... I was like, no one's actually happy. Like, let me find out what's really going on here. So I purposely kept trying to ride the ski lift with the other sober kid. And every, like, we were on the ski lift and he just, I was like, what's your deal? Like, and he started telling me his story. And I was like, whoa, dude, like, I feel the exact way you felt. Like, this is crazy. And I was like, what did you do? Like, you went from being suicidal to happy? Like, is that possible? And I was like, what steps did you take? And he was like, you know, like, I 
stop drinking. I was like, no, not doing that one. So what else you got? He was like prayer, meditation. I was like, all right, I'll do that. So like I started like going to temple in the morning to try and rap to fill wow. in with these like Jews in the Upper West Side. And like, it was horrible. Like they didn't, I couldn't relate to these people at all. And they're all like complaining about shit. And I'm like, this isn't sp- like, this isn't making me feel anything. And I was trying to meditate when I was like high and that wasn't working. And God bless this kid. I would cry to him every night for two hours and he wouldn't hang up on me. And I was just like, dude, like, why are you helping me? Like, I wish I could help. Like, uh, like why? And he was just like, you don't understand. Like you are helping me Mm. more than I am helping you. And like, I didn't understand what that meant until I got sober. But, um, this was in like late December. And I told myself like, all right, I need to try and get sober because clearly like, that's the missing piece. Like I did all the other two things and it didn't work. I need to do the other thing that this kid told me. And I was going to try and get sober, not, and not even to stay sober. I was going to do sober January to prove to myself that I'm not an alcoholic. And I was going to reward myself for a month of not drinking by drinking. Again. Of course. And, um, so January 1st hit it's new year's. Like I was drinking all night and uh, like the like the ball dropped and I went outside alone like we're at some rooftop thing and I looked down and I was like, okay, this time next year, if you're not better, you're jumping off at this party. Like we're going to this party next year. I'm just going to jump off the roof. Like mm-hmm. that was the plan. And uh, I tried the not drinking for like four or five days and I was miserable. Like it was so bad because all I had done was taken away the solution at that time. All I had as the solution to not feel terrible was alcohol. So I did that too. And it's like, I also lived that triangle lifestyle that, yeah. you, that you mentioned. So yeah. now my triangle is just like, wake up, work, yeah, back home. Miserable. So there's, and there's yeah. like, there's no even like, basically like when you go, if you're counting days and like you feel depressed and miserable and mad, like, yeah, you should. Because like you just took away the like the lone joy that you had in your life. Yeah. So of course you're gonna be mad. Yeah. So I just I felt I was barely holding on. And I he was like, Why don't you come with me? Like I'm speaking and I didn't understand what AA was. I thought legitimately like there was like some gala benefit where like there's like a bunch of kids trying to get sober and someone who actually did it like speaking and like everybody mm. claps and it's like a dinner. And I was like, this kid was so nice to me. Like, obviously I'm going to come like right. support him in this thing that he's doing. And it turned out to be an AA meeting. Like I did not know what that meant. Like I legitimately thought he was going to be speaking for like homeless people and like kids in high school that already had an arrest record. Right. So I go to this meeting and uh, where was it? It was in Brooklyn, uh, Bleeding Deacons uh, in uh, Williamsburg. And at this point, like my anxiety and my depression was so intense that the whole meeting, all I heard was like the Charlie Brown, like teacher, like wah, 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 wah. And then he said, yeah, and my whole life I felt terminally unique. He said that word that I felt my whole life and literally just everything melted away. I was like, holy shit, like. I experienced for the first time hope. I was like, wow, like someone actually understands how I feel. And I was like, I think it might be okay. And I smiled like a real smile, not like a weed smile, not like a drinking. Like I smiled. I was like, holy shit. Like this literally might be it. Yeah. And after that, I, uh, I'm not someone that had relapse in my story. Like, I don't know what it was, but after that first meeting, I was like, this is, this is it. This is where I need to be. And like, I, have I've been sober now for a year and uh, nine months, uh, and I literally have not turned back since then. I've missed a meeting maybe like five days in that entire time. How did you pick your sponsor? So I picked my sponsor. Uh, so first I had as an interim sponsor that kid, and we actually started becoming really close friends. And he's like, you know what? Like, I want to be your friend. I've tried to sponsor friends before. Like, this isn't going to work out. Like, you need to find a sponsor and you need to do it by X, Y, and Z date. And I was like, so eager to have what these kids had in that room that I was like, I will do anything you tell me. So like, I was like, all right, I have a week. We're doing this. And I started going to this meeting at 6 a.m. morning call, which like, it was, and I still go to it and I Mm. chair it now, which is like ridiculous because it's so early. And, um, there was just this guy there and I was just like, okay, like he seems like normal enough. Like I feel like I can relate to him kind of. And uh, I legitimately felt like I was asking a girl to prom. I like very bashfully walked up to him and I was like, can we, can we talk? And like, <laughs> and like we were sitting in like a, 
a, like a Pret-a-Manger and uh, I was like, can you, can you be my sponsor? He's like, yeah, of course. And like, it was like, so like normal. And like, I got so lucky that I ended up with my sponsor that I did. Like I didn't, I, I was like, I didn't know shit about shit. I didn't know my ass from my elbow. I just got so lucky that like the right person was put in my path at that time. And what's like for me, the the greatest thing about my relationship with my own sponsor yeah. and hopefully my sponsors, I hope they feel this way, is that it's the most honest relationship in my life. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Like there's, it's the only, like I'm, I look back and I'm like, man, I'm like notoriously dishonest. Like I lie about stuff that you have, there's no reason to lie about. Yeah. Right. Like I had a lie going that um, I had seen the movie Pulp Fiction for like 15 years. <laughs> yeah. And I've never, I know I've never seen it all the way through. Stupid stuff like that. Yeah. But like with him, it's like everything, everything and anything is off, is on the yeah. table. Do you feel that way? Yeah, absolutely. And like, I can pinpoint the exact moment that I bought into the concept of sponsorship. Like at first I was like, I don't, I don't know this. I don't know this guy at all. Like, you know, and I didn't know anything about AA, but I was like, I'll do what he tells me. I just didn't, wasn't fully bought in. Uh, he was my sponsor maybe for like four days at this time. And I like, you know, they say avoid people, places and things like I'm like two weeks sober and I'm like, OK, I'm going to go to my friend's birthday party. They're binge drinking, going axe throwing and like smoking weed all day. Right. And uh, so <laughs> I was like, awesome. It's going to be a great time. And uh, I go to the axe throwing. They're all like wasted. It's terrible. I, I feel that feeling I was feeling before. where like I want to rip my skin off like and the whole time I'm just like spinning my 24 hour chip in my pocket. Like, like, don't let go. Like, it's going to be OK. And we get back. And for the first, like, they're all, like, starting to smoke weed and play drinking games. And for the first time, someone asked me, they're like, hey, like, do you want a drink? And I was like, uh, uh, uh no, I'm on, an I'm on, I was about to say antidepressants. I was already on antidepressants. Right. I was like, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was going to say, like, no, I'm At least on, you're being uh, honest. yeah, I'm on antibiotics. Yeah. And, uh, like, they're like, whatever, dude. Like, no one, like, really gave a shit, but I was freaking out. And I was like, what do I do? What do I do? I was like, oh, like, I have a sponsor. Well, let me just go outside and call him and I go outside and I was like they're all drinking they're all smoking like I don't know what to do like they're going to a bar later like they're gonna think I'm weird and he's like why don't you just leave and yeah. I was like whoa like that's a great idea I literally never even crossed my mind to not be there and I was like this guy's smart I'm gonna start listening to him and like I bought into that uh my friends were actually hanging out right across from that meeting that was the first meeting i went to and i just left their apartment and went to a meeting mm. so i feel like uh this doesn't happen all the time but there are things said in meetings yeah. that like they just like sink into your brain and you're like wow those yeah. like wow moments um i had one recently where uh a guy was was qualifying and he talked about how you know he prays he meditates he has sponsors he has a sponsor goes to meetings all the time he goes into like rehab facilities yeah. and talks and then he said and then i realized why don't i actually act like a guy who does all those things yeah you know yeah. and i was like wow i was like yeah yeah what are the one the moments or the things that you've heard in meetings that like just like share one of those for me that like really stuck out in your head um sure so <laughs> i guess one of them and it's really funny it's actually the night i met you uh one of these moments happened mm -hmm. i was in early sobriety when i met you like i was probably like two or three weeks sober and i was walking to a meeting uh in like greenwich village uh at the church on 11th street and i was so sick of the way i was feeling i was just like this sucks like i hate this like i feel miserable and it's because at that point like i didn't have the solution yet right i just started like yeah. it was it takes time for it to like sink in and i'm walking past like the like hospital like on like 14th street and i see a half drank beer on the ground and i was like and only an alcoholic would look at that and be like whoa like that looks good <laughs> like a half drank budweiser in the streets of manhattan and i was just like legit like i could drink this right now no one will know I should probably do it. And I was like, no, <sighs> I told my sponsor that I would meet him at this meeting and I walked past it and I was like, maybe after the meeting, if that beer is still there and I'm not feeling good, I'll drink it. And at this point, like I didn't believe yet that I was an alcoholic. I, what I thought was I was the main, I was Ed Norton in fight club and I was going to meetings that would like, so I could cry and feel good and right, like listen to right. other people's problems. That was legitimately where I thought I was at. And this was the moment where I realized I was an alcoholic, where 
I didn't share. I was having an anxiety attack the whole meeting. My leg was shaking like 100 miles an hour. And this woman like takes the burning desire, which is, uh, you know, like if you feel like you're going to drink and she's like, I felt terrible. I was walking. I was walking past the church on 4th Street, uh, 14th Street. And I saw this half drink in Budweiser. And I was thinking I could drink this. And no one would literally the entire fight I had with myself in my head. She was having it and saying it out loud at this. meeting. Wow. And I was like, holy crap. Like, if this woman belongs here and that's what she's sharing about, I just had that experience. I belong here. I'm an alcoholic. Like, and then I actually, and then we went out to fellowship, me, you, and my sponsor uh, right after that that meeting. Yeah. So a couple more and then I'll get you out of here. Sure. Um, When you get, when you do your steps and you get to the ninth step and you have to make amends. Yeah. Is there one amends that stands out to you? Um, so... One amends that stands out to me is actually an amends that I didn't get to make. And like, I'll explain like what that means where like, I I, will, I went to college in Philadelphia. So most of my amends had to be there. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I first got into the program, right? I just broke up with a girl who was also an active alcoholic. And I was like, oh man, I can't wait to get sober and throw it in her face and to like rescue her and like all this stuff. And I remember like most people look at step nine on the wall. They're like, hell no. And I looked at it. I was like, confrontation, baby. I am going to go right up to her and like throw this new life in her face. And like, (laughs) I was so stoked. Like I was like counting down the days. I'm like, I'm getting to step nine, baby. And like, like completely lack of humility at that point. And, um, so thank God, like I, you know, she was on my eighth step list. Like we, I reached out to her with the script. I was like, Hey, like I've made these changes and blah, blah, blah. Like, let's talk. And she said, no, like, I do not see what, uh, us talking right now is going to do for either of us. Like, to be honest, I don't ever really want to see you again. And I was like, heartbroken. I was like, what? Like, how could she take this away from me? And like, mm. it's so funny. Cause that is not what the ninth step is about. Right? Like we, as a result, feel better about it or, and about ourselves. But the whole point is to right the wrongs we've made, not to, you know, like have vanity, not to do it in our own self-interest, not to like relieve ourselves of the guilt. It's literally, we messed up a lot. We needed to fix those things if we're going to continue to live a spiritual life. And so I go to Philadelphia that week anyway, because I have like literally like 13 other amends to make there. And I I called it like the amends tour to K18. And uh, I was like, woo, like I had like 13 that day. I had like appointments. Like I was mm-hmm. just going from like amends to amends, an exhausting day. And during my last amends, um, I'm in a coffee shop with this kid online and in walks my ex-girlfriend that said no to me making an amends. And she is right behind me online in this coffee shop. And I was like, my heart literally went into my butt. I was like, (laughs) oh my God, like, how is this happening? And we, like, she stayed with us for like a half hour. Like I bought her coffee because she was like online behind us. And uh, we just had the most normal surface level conversation and it was civil and it was perfect. And that was better than any amends I could have made. Then we parted ways and that was it. That was like so amazing because now the last conversation we had wasn't me blowing up and telling her about all of her character defects, which is how the breakup went. It was, we're both human beings. We're not the people we made up in our minds. Like it's going to be okay. And that's really what an amends is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's an amazing story. Yeah. Um, When we put down alcohol... And drugs, in my case, yeah, um, we still are addicts, right? Like yeah. we still have an alcoholic brain. Yeah. So, like, where do you see that manifest, like, in other <laughs> ways? Yeah. So, when I first uh, quit drinking, I was smoking like a pack of cigarettes a day. Like, I was literally chain smoking in between meetings. Like, it, at work, I was taking like five smoke breaks a day. It's not like I picked up cigarettes. Like, I was already smoking cigarettes. It just increased sure. a lot more. And then it's like whack-a-mole. Like then I was like, all right, like the cigarettes are probably not the healthiest way to go about it. Put down the cigarettes, started drinking like legitimately nine cups of coffee a day. And Mm -hmm. like for me, it manifests in other ways, whether it's like, like, you know, like I can get addicted to anything. Like, like porn is one of them too for me. Like any, anything that will get me outside of myself, I can get addicted to. I can get addicted to photography, to like hobbies, like exercise any anything that is like an outside thing that i don't have to think about myself i can get addicted to so in every aa qualification they they are they tell you to break it down into three parts you know what was it like meaning like what was your alcoholic life like what happened meaning what got you into a room and then the last part 
is usually the sunny side of the meeting, yeah. usually of, you know, what is life like now? Yeah. So if you had to sort of describe what life's like now, what would you say? Uh, well, definitely more meaningful, right? Like when I was in that triangle, like I wasn't helpful to anybody, to myself, to my family, to like, I wasn't part of society anymore. I was just like in my own little annex of like the world. Like I was completely just cut off and isolated. Like what I feel now is connectedness. Like I don't feel that terminally unique all the time, which is not to say that like I don't feel it, right? Negative thoughts arise. Like the feeling that it's not going to be okay arises. But now I have tools when that comes up, right? So when those thoughts used to be for me, my permanent state of mind, right? My, I was only in the negative thoughts. I had no tools or even people to talk to about it that would get me out of it. So I'm not saying that being sober just guarantees that every day will be the best day of my life. But I can guarantee now that if I use the tools that are presented to me that I won't pick up a drink in response to my emotions. And I know for me, if I pick up a drink, it will just lead me down that path to death. So it gives me another opportunity to live whether things are really good or things are really bad. Right. I feel like for me, like one of the main benefits that I see is like my bad situations, whatever they may be, relationship, work, whatever, yeah. like the depths of those are more shallow, yeah. right? Because like for me, if I, if I had a problem, my solution is to drink it away. Yeah. And of course, like a drink makes everything worse. Like a drink for me in like a, in a bad relationship situation means like I'm going to drunk text you. I'm going to drunk dial you. Yeah. I like I'm going to say horrible things like it's only going to get worse. If it's with a boss or someone at work, I'm only going to make things worse. Yeah. And now like my solution is like to call my sponsor to go to a meeting and like yeah. these situations like there's no avoiding bad situations. Right. It's just part of life. But the the length of them and the depths of them yeah. gets less is more shallow yeah like the times between those like peaks and those troughs becomes much less and those peaks and those troughs become less high and less low yes. it's just a lot more living life on life's terms and like it's just amazing like on top of the tools to have people in my life that care about me like I thought that there was a time when I was drinking that my phone may never ring again. And now, like, legitimately, my phone rings off the hooks. Like, I need to, like, close, like, the window at some point and be like, all right, it's 10 o'clock. Like, I am not taking calls anymore. It's time to go to bed. Like, and I'm blessed. I love that people call me nonstop to either ask how I'm doing, to tell me about their problems, and, like, I could help them and they help me. It's amazing. Like, it's a completely different life. Did you ever feel like, so when I um, got sober, I thought that like a part of my personality had died. Mm -hmm. Like that like super fun, gregarious part of me was yeah. dead. And and I would wonder like, am I even fun anymore? Also like, like you, like you're gonna end up in situations in bars, right? Yeah. It's just part of life, work, friends, birthdays, yeah. whatever. And like you, I would see like a group of people in the corner and like there's, like the sound of drunk people laughing is like a unique sound. It's mm -hmm. like that like uproarious, like loud bellow. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm never gonna laugh like that again. Mm -hmm. And and the thing is, is like, that's just not true. Yeah. Like I have laughed like hard, hard in yeah. sobriety. Yeah. Like, do you did you feel that way? So this is a disease of perception, right? So I thought I was much cooler <laughs> than I actually was when I was drinking, right? Like I look back at that person and I kind of cringe at who I was, which is great. That means that I've experienced growth, right? Mm -hmm. That I no longer want to be that guy. And I have found like actual joy in sobriety, right? Like I have real like laughs with people now where like everything was just kind of like circumstantial. I used to like, I used to do a lot of crazy stuff just to have crazy stories to tell people to try and impress them totally. and like everybody always looked at me like i was insane like and i loved that yeah. i got off on that but like that's negative attention right nobody is like wow that guy's insane like i would love to like take him home to meet my mom like he seems like a really put together guy like i seemed like a monster all right last one yeah um if you could give one piece of advice just one to someone that's a newcomer that's mm -hmm. you know thinking about getting sober what would it be <sighs> man that's such a like i always think about that too like when i'm qualifying like what is the one thing that i could tell people that will like keep them coming here and 
I don't I don't know, man. Like literally, like as stupid as it sounds, maybe just keep coming back because like like you like <laughs> the solution is in the rooms. Like the solu- like we're never going to stop going to meetings and just start feeling better. Like that I only feel better as a result of going to meetings, helping people. Like where do I where do I like meet people at the meetings? Like like there's so many times where it feels like it's never going to be okay. Nothing is permanent. The bad times aren't permanent. The good times aren't permanent. If you keep coming back and keep doing the program and keep going to AA and giving it your full effort, it will be okay, even when it feels like it's not going to. So like the best advice is keep coming back because there are times where you feel like it's just never going to work out for you again. That's not the case. I've had so many of those funks. Some of them have lasted over a month, but Mm -hmm. I maintain that faith that as long as I continue to do this work, it's going to turn around again. And it always has. My thanks again to John A. for coming on the program this week. You've been listening to Keep Coming Back, Real Stories of Sobriety and Recovery. Again, if you like what you hear, give us a good review. Also, if you have any questions about the podcast, about sobriety, about anything that I could hope to help with, you can find me on Twitter. It's at KCB Podcast. You can reach me there. Or you can email me directly. It's keepcomingbackpodcast at gmail.com. That's keepcomingbackpodcast at gmail.com. Again, this has been Mike S. Keep coming back, real stories of sobriety and recovery, and I'll see you next week.